From Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Noah from the Bayman Collective. Noah, it's really nice to have you on. Yeah, thank you, Brad. It's a pleasure to be on. Absolutely. I'm really excited for today's discussion. Noah, can you tell me a bit about yourself and a bit about Bateman Collective? Bateman Collective, we are a digital marketing agency focused on lead gen for real estate investors. These are investors who are looking for off-market properties that aren't listed on the MLS. They're looking for discounted properties that they can fix and flip opportunities like that, or turn them into rentals that they keep for long-term rentals, short-term rentals on Airbnb. Myself, I've been with the company as my second year, but I've been in digital marketing almost longer than I care to admit. My first e-commerce website was in 1996. And so two years before Google for a frame of reference for everybody. So I've been doing this for a long time, had a number of e-commerce businesses, toured all over the world, speaking about e-commerce and digital marketing to business owners and entrepreneurs, and have been on the agency side for about the last 12, 13 years. That's awesome stuff. Let's talk about sales in this space of this past year. So what are some recent challenges that maybe you faced and how have you overcome them? And what does that whole landscape of sales look like for you guys? For us, the challenge that we've had was it, most people are aware that the real estate market, because we work with real estate investors and in driving motivated seller leads to them, most people are aware that the real estate market took a pretty heavy shift back in June, July, 2022. And <clears throat> what that meant, what that looked like is interest rates started rising, which now you have houses that are overvaluated, you have interest rates rising. So now affordability is a huge problem because people just can't afford the same house that maybe they could have afforded not too long ago. So that created an issue in the market because part of real estate investing is what's called wholesaling. So you, Brad, let's say you have a property that <clears throat> needs repairs or it's a hoarder house and it has to be cleaned out and completely fixed up. You can't sell that retail on the MLS with a traditional model. So investors will come in, they'll buy that at a discount because of all of the investment they have to make into the property give you cash, and then they will go about one of the different exit strategies, fixing and flipping or creating rentals, so on. But there's also something called wholesaling, which is I come in, I get the house for 40 cents on the dollar of what it's valued for. And then I turn around and sell that to somebody who actually does fix and flip or does long-term rentals, things like that. So I'm getting that wholesale fee by finding the property and then selling it at a discount still, but a profit to me, to another investor. Part of the problem there was people got stuck holding inventory. A couple of different scenarios. They got, I had properties that I was under contract on, but then the market shifted and that creates fear in your other buyers. And so it makes it difficult to unload those properties. So people were getting stuck with properties. The value was going down between the time you bought it and after and the 90 days it took to flip it. And then you had a hard time selling it because buyers now had higher interest rates. And it just, it created a real mess. 
So the struggle for us was if people were stuck holding properties, weren't in a good cash position and couldn't offload what they had, there's no need for acquisitions. There's no need to bring more leads in. So we had quite a few clients who were pumping the brakes on their digital campaigns, waiting to see what happened. So there was a big wait and see period. Absolutely. It sounds like that picture has changed a little bit this year. Things are picking back up and all that. Love to hear about that. Yeah, it's true. The Fed has dropped the rate a couple of times and interest rates are in the sixes, which for us, we have a, an interest rate that's at two. That's a big difference when you look at a 30-year mortgage at inflated values and you're basically three times the interest rate. But it has come down and it has gotten better. And so investors with the new year, there's always that traditional new year, new us kind of an attitude. And so we always have an uptick in people starting their digital marketing at the beginning of the year, but the confidence has gone back up. Housing prices have started to level a bit. Interest rates have leveled a little bit. So people understand what the landscape looks like and they have higher degree of confidence to invest in acquisitions now. Absolutely. So what does your approach look like to target potential new customers for yourself? Obviously, as a service, you guys are helping with lead generation for these types of investors and clients, but how do you acquire customers yourself? As I like to say, we eat our own dog food. We do run PPC ads. We run Facebook ads geared toward the investor and helping them familiarize us or themselves with our brand. We are part of, there's something that's not necessarily unique, but pretty heavily utilized in real estate, especially with investors called masterminds, which is a collection of investors who get together. And really it's about being a go-giver, sharing, helping other investors fix problems in their business. It's a really great community. And we're a part of a number of those groups. We are a solution provider for lead gen. And so we're able to be a part of that conversation because in this world, in real estate investing, there's only a handful of channels that really are effective in driving those leads. And believe it or not, direct marketing mailers is one of those. Like, who does mail? But it's still still very effective in this industry. And so we're we're the digital leaders in that. Yeah, it's interesting. What does that mastermind look like then? So it's a real estate investor mastermind and then you guys join as a vendor is that am i getting that correct yeah and there's a few different scenarios there but traditionally you have investors usually they'll only have a couple from each market but you get a couple hundred investors in a room talking about issues that they're facing solutions that they've that they've come up with to overcome those and it's an opportunity to learn from the best of the best and go back to your business and integrate some of those things. And typically these meetings are held quarterly. So as a general rule, you take one nugget away, you work on integrating that over the next quarter, and then you're back at it and, and just continue to build. But coming from outside industries, it was very bizarre for me to be a part of these because people literally open their books. Here are my sales. Here's my revenue. Here are my marketing expenses here. They show everything and everybody just digests that and then gives feedback on things that they feel could be improved. So it's, yeah, it's a very coachable moment for a lot of these business owners, but it's also pretty vulnerable as well. Absolutely. That's interesting. And then I imagine some of them struggle with generating leads. 
And then maybe is that when you guys help in from an advice standpoint and how you should go about doing it and then, you know, you can help them out and all that stuff. Yeah. In the midst of the mastermind, there are usually breakouts, round tables. There's also something called a hot seat presentation, which is where you get up and you really are incentivized to provide value to the group with your presentation. And that's oftentimes where, you know, you have an opportunity to present what's called your give and prevent or prevent present value to the group on what you've learned. And then also finish off with an ask. And that's where the group comes to, to either network together, solution providers, people who have been down that road ahead of you and so forth. And so we fall into that camp quite often when people are struggling with lead gen <clears throat> or their, let's say their PPC campaigns aren't, aren't producing. Everybody knows their ROI per channel like at any given second. <laughs> and so if they have channels that aren't producing that ROI, but others are, then it's let's dissect this and figure out what's going on. So again, being that hands-on solution provider, being dynamic, being able to go into their campaigns and make some suggestions, give them some actionable takeaways, goes a long way toward building that value, building our brand. And so a lot of our sales come off the reputation that we've been able to create for ourselves in the market. Absolutely. Any other specific tactics, strategies, experiments you've run when it comes to engaging potential buyers and helping with sales uh, that you feel would be worthwhile sharing? Yeah, I think within our organization, something that's important, we have, again, it's, it's so unique compared to other industries, but YouTube, podcasts like this, huge in this industry. People will be driving out to appointments to meet with a seller, listening to podcasts. It's just, it's hard at these events to get people to talk about anything other than real estate. And it's a pretty, pretty popular channel. And so we oftentimes are on a podcast with influencers and industry leaders. It's a great way to get our message out there. We also spend a lot of time. I have to have really good follow-up skills. My team does as well. Like we're not pressure because it has to make sense, right? The, uh, financially, it has to make sense and they have to be in a cash position to be able to commit to the channel. So there's really no pressure, but you have to follow up because I've never met a more ADHD group of people in my life. So if you're not right there, making sure that conversation's progressing, yeah, you'll never close the deal. So it's having really good follow-up, consistent follow-up, taking really good notes, use HubSpot religiously. <laughs> yeah, what's the statistic? It's like an average of 11 or 12 follow-ups it takes to make a B2B sale. Very so important. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And yeah, it, sometimes the other thing too is automation, right? I would love to be more automated. But it's hard because you're having, like yesterday, I think I had 10 sales calls, 10 Zooms. And so remembering all those conversations when you're having hundreds of them per month, and then sometimes you're in person at an event having these conversations, and I try to put notes in my phone, but it's critical, right? Because it's very much relationship-based. They have to trust you. It's not pressure, but you have to be able to follow up. You have to remember what you talked about previously. But I do struggle sometimes for content. So it's like, okay, I've got to email this guy. What am I going to say now? That was going to be my next question is when you're doing these follow-ups, like, what do you normally say? Is it like, 
hey, do you try to get another meeting on the calendar? Do you try to get them to commit? Like, I know a lot of times in sales, it's like in between things are like, hey, let me pitch this internally or think about next steps. And what do you do in those cases for your follow-ups? One thing that I do that's been very helpful is I send a recap of our meeting almost immediately after our discovery call. So in our discovery call, it's also, we begin laying the foundation of a strategy. Are we going to do PPC and Facebook ads? Are we going to add in SEO? We're going to build them a new site. In my recap, I want to go through and I want to lay all of that out as well as setting expectations for commitment. Hey, this is a six month agreement. We need to do this because we need to let it run. And here's how we typically break down an engagement. Giving them all that information, one, it protects us right? It's like, no, you were told if they ever try and come back on us, which they don't very often, but it does happen. They've been told what they need to know. And it also makes it easier for me to go back in my follow-up and know exactly the strategy I laid out and even the why. So between my notes in HubSpot, between the, the recap of the conversation, which when it's fresh in my head, sending that out, <clears throat> that provides a lot of opportunity to go back, ask follow-up questions. I like that because that gets them to re-engage. If you can get people talking about their business, they're more likely to do that than if you are asking them if they're ready to spend money. So just getting the conversation going and keeping it going is something I try to do. After the holidays, just a simple Hey, happy holidays. Hope this year is fantastic. Just something personal to just no pressure. It's just something personal and then throw a question in there. Give them a reason to respond to you and open the dialogue. Absolutely. First generate awareness that like, Hey, we still exist. We're here. And then give them something to engage with you in the conversation. And then over time in doing that, eventually they'll be ready to sign and spend money. You know, and it's, it's important to mix it up, but also providing, again, value, right? We pride ourselves on the value that we're able to provide. So if something does change in the market, like my messaging with my follow-ups last July and August was, hey, the shift in the market, we've seen a 30% decrease in cost per lead on, on Google, and we've seen an increase in, in close rates with motivated sellers. So providing them that feedback, keeping them up to date on what we're seeing in the marketplace as far as digital channels go, and then asking them, what are you seeing in your business? How are your campaigns going? Things like that. Just again, trying to re-engage on a level that you know that they're interested in because they're busy. Absolutely. I think you probably reached out to me a dozen times. Yeah. I just was busy. And it's just, it's just one of those things where it's, oh, I've got this email starred, but I just, you know. I think we all get busy there. There's people that reach out to me too, and then I'll get busy as well. Any last words of advice as we close out the episode here? I think a lot of times, maybe this is the anti-sales guy here, but I think a lot of times salespeople, we have that old school Wolf of Wall Street type training, always be closing, hitting them hard. And then on the flip side is people buy from those who they like. People who are always hitting me over the head, I avoid. And so sometimes just building a little bit of that personal relationship with people, I'm not afraid to share my idiosyncrasies. I love the smell of skunk. I smell it on the freeway and I turn the fan up. I don't know why. It's just weird. But it's something memorable, right? You're not going to forget that. Nobody listening is going to forget that. So who's this weird guy who likes the smell of skunk? But you just build personal 
relationships with people. Of course, everybody's sales cycle is different, but in my case, it's a longer sales cycle typically, and our retention is typically a much longer client retention. And so having that relationship with them, I know I'm going to see them every couple of months is critical. And don't be afraid to, to show some vulnerability, not always be closing, but being a human. Absolutely. I love it. Thanks so much, Noah, for joining the podcast today. Great insights and wisdom here. Yeah. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely.